Yarn. Yarn fourteen. Billy. Can you can you hear me okay there now? Yeah. In the spring of 2014, I sat down with my dad and I interviewed him about his alcoholism. He was 68 at that stage. I'd never really spoken to dad properly about, you know, things that had happened when he was drunk and sometimes when he was sober too. What you're about to hear in this piece is about as close as we ever got to dealing with them. I started by asking dad how long he'd been an alcoholic. I'd say say I was addicted young. Um, in hindsight, looking back on it, I'd say from very early on, um, because I can remember even as as a child, as a, an altar surfer, I can remember drinking the wine that the, the, they use at the mass, you know, and we'd take it up to thing. I'd, I'd always leave a certain amount in the bottle, and, you know, I'd, I'd drink that. Um, and didn't see any harm in that, and there's other young lads used to do it too, but uh, I liked it. Um, the system they had there, the bottle of wine had to be brought for the priest to use. Uh, for St. Mass, there was two priests, and generally speaking, a bottle of wine would nearly do the two priests a week, you know? It's like they'd be saying maybe seven Masses or whatever, and every week you'd change the bottle from you take up the empty and bring down the but I always took up the empty when there was that much left in it and I'd put it on the head and um, I suppose the main thing about it was that as a child um, I had very severe asthma Um, and my grandmother who was lived across the road from us she would have had I would have had a very close relationship with her and she had this theory that um, a glass of Guinness mixed with milk was um, good for asthma. Now, whether it was or it wasn't, I, I don't know. But all I know is that I took the, the Guinness like you take to mother's milk, as they say. Uh, and I used to drink a bottle of that every day. Or, a, you know, the equivalent of a glass of Guinness, a small bottle of stout. And I go over to Granny, as I used to say, for me a bottle of nourishment. And people saw nothing wrong with that at that time and it was things. So I was doing that from uh, I'd say from seven years eight years of age. And uh, now whether that um, was what got me addicted or what, but I always loved it, loved the taste of it. Um, I loved everything about it. Um, and then as I, as I grew up and all that, I associated good times with drinking. Uh, and I thought it was a kind of a man's thing. Uh, and it was great to see the lads together in the pub and um, having the jar and um, friendship. My father like would have been... A very steady drinker. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have been an alcoholic, I would say, but he would have been a, a daily drinker, I'd say, which an awful lot of people were at that time, you know. And um, when I look back at it now, but it was always the sign of when, when visitors had come, the men had go to the pub and the women had stay having the tea, and uh, 
I was always kind of even as a child thinking to be great to be able to go with them you know this kind of kind of worshiping it some way or another but the first time I drank in a pub on my own steam if you like as an adult I can remember that and I can remember what the name of the drink was and I can remember where it was uh, it was in Erlingford uh, it was a bottle of Thai ale I liked what it did to me um, and there were there, there were a lot of um, good times associated with it um, you know I used a lot of herding talk and all that was a lot of it was done in the pub and there was great old banter and good friendships and um, a lot of things and in a small place like Johnstown where I grew up you'd say that it was easy to get to know people but um, you got to know people more in a pub than you know I mean the, the non-drinkers in Johnstown I kind of really knew their name and who they were married to and how many children they had but I didn't know much else about them but any fellow that was coming to the pub uh, I knew everything about him and he knew everything about me and what made us tick and what, what uh, we enjoyed and what we disliked and all that you'd know about it so the pub to me was always a social place a nice place a place that I liked to be associated with and um, that I always found kind of friendships or whatever um, I never got into trouble in a pub in my life or I was never barred in a pub or, or then. so I take from that that even though I could get stroppy or sometimes the next day when you think back of what might have happened the night before or whatever and you'd be worried about it and maybe you'd go back to the pub to see what, how, how to say it but I never got anything in any kind of people dismay after you had one too many don't worry about it there was no so th so in that sense I'd say I never got into um, um, I got into kind of one trouble trouble with the law on one occasion but um, other than that uh, I never got into trouble there was never rows in pubs or fighting or boxing or anything because even though I could get good on the tongue and I'd get uh, well-oiled. Um, I wouldn't get fighty or physical or anything like that. But I always went to drink, like, even when before we got married and when we'd go out when we were going out together and if there was a dinner dance or if there was something, like, going on like that, I always loved that because I knew that there'd be a good letter. And on those occasions, uh, on a lot of those occasions, I got drunk and uh, some of those were unpleasant for and that was basically because Mum Catherine was with me and um, that's I think when it really began to show as a as a problem um, because I wouldn't be reliable even going on a date or about maybe hurling a match in Johnstone or something and We'd uh, say I'd have a date maybe after the match or something like that and I'd go to the pub and ring up and make some kind of an excuse or whatever and then she would say well you're putting the pub before you're putting me and in a sense I was but uh, up there I wasn't but uh, if that was said to you then it would be very hard to argue that you weren't doing that 
thing. And the, the other thing is, even now I'm jumping in space, but when, when I would get physically sick from drink, you know, um, excuse the expression, but I could go into the, the loo, fire it all up, and go back in and drink again. No bother to me. You know, no bother to me. And uh, the other thing I, fo I found out about myself was that the hair of the dog always cured me. And uh, I actually enjoyed going back to cure hangover because it gave you the grin, you grin feeling like nothing on earth. And I generally cure myself on my own by saying, give us a double whiskey or give us whatever. And I'd let that off, and then I'd say, give us a pint of Guinness and get the paper and read it, and then you'd find yourself coming back, the stomach would be settling, the, the nerves would be settling, everything enters manner. But the only thing is that very, very easy to go back into it again the next day. There was a whole world, a drinking world, that I belonged to, and I didn't belong to, to the, even to the point that I could say that I nearly disliked anyone that didn't drink. You know, a crazy thing to say, but, but um, you know, uh, my scene was people that, you know, would, 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 would drink. Like if I was going to a match, if I was going to anything, like going to the All-Ireland and all, uh, on the train, um, I'd have to have a few shots, there's no drink on the train, so I'd have to have a few shots in Kilkenny get in before they open in Garments or wherever. And of course there'd be 50 other lads there as well, so that made it feel okay. And then up to the railway station and have a few pints in the in the Galway Hawker before you'd get on the lowest to go over to Crow Park. And then have a few pints in Crow Park. It's all about drink. Yes, there was the match, and yes, there was the, the whole razzmatazz of the build-up to it and the after thing, but... Um, big in there in the middle of it was the, the there was going to be a great old drink too and uh, I saw nothing wrong with that and even when I became alcoholic and even when I knew I was alcoholic uh, I couldn't see um, how serious a thing it was for an alcoholic to drink sure that's what he's supposed to do isn't it um, and you know I didn't think that um, you know, okay, I know it is you're going in at 11 o'clock in the morning and you're kind of getting a shot of whiskey and getting cooling yourself with two pints, but there'd be always someone else there. They were doing the same thing and there wouldn't have horns growing out of their heads and I could talk to them and they could talk to me. And so I kind of normalised it or made, out, made it out to be okay. Justified it to myself, maybe to be okay. And when I kind of look back at that, I think, you see, because people that don't drink say, well, you know, if you find yourself in a pub like at uh, 11 o'clock, if you find yourself knocking at the door to get in before they're open in the morning, surely that's a sign there's something wrong. You know, and, there sh and it should be. No, that, that only taught me that I was a hard drinker. Um, you, you were so, you just had it planned out that uh, there'll be a drink here, there'll be another one there, there'll be... There'll be any amount of it here, you know. And then you tend, the other thing you tended to do, you tended to drink in 
the pub, you drink in a rougher pub. Um, not saying that I wouldn't drink in it, but you tended to drink where, where the clientele didn't see anything wrong with it. Whereas if you went into a kind of a uh, another pub or something like that, somebody might come in that said, just what's that fella doing drinking at half eleven in the morning? And he might be only coming in to inquire how you go to Thurlis or something from here, you know. That's why you, you try and be secretive about it. And very, you couldn't tell the truth about it, you couldn't. Yeah. You know, I, 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 if I was to tell the truth about it, you know, why do I want to go to the match on Thurlis on Sunday? I want to go to the match on Thurlis, A, to see the match, because it'll be good, and all the rest of it. But equally, there'll be a good old scoop before and after it, and there'll be the hurling crowd that you come back to here in Kilkenny and get mixed in the middle, and there'll be plenty of people to talk to, and the whole thing will be good. Because, you see, you drink five pints before a match, and you go in and you drink five pints after a match, don't really know what happened. The match is over before you know where you are. Uh, and but you know you'd still go along with it and it's still good and still thing. But you enjoy the match a lot more. But there would be things that happened in drink that um, I push you this way. If I had an opportunity of undoing them, I'd never let them happen again. Uh, and they would they would weigh very heavily still even in my sober times they would weigh and I don't particularly want to get into it but I mean you know how I kind of behave sometimes after funerals and stuff like that when people needed me to be the other way uh, and the whole anger that was in me and everything there was always anger in me when I felt that I couldn't have a free hand to to drink more of it. Like, if you hit me a slap in the face, you'd probably make me angry. But you wouldn't make me as angry as if you denied me access to a drink. That'd be a bigger anger. And, uh, you know, if Kilkenny won the All-Ireland and I was going to go down to celebrate on Monday and Catherine or whatever said... Well, now, and to be better now if you didn't go down or whatever. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd go into a sulk because I was being prevented from doing something that way. And, of course, I'd never say to myself, well, she's doing that for your good or she's doing that for your thing because I didn't see it as that. I saw it as, well, sure, everybody does that like the day after the All-Ireland. Nobody... Um, you know, I put it all down as normal with the... Now, I knew normal might have inverted commas on it, but um, you'd be trying to convince, convince yourself that everybody did what you're doing. You're no different to the vast majority of people, and the odd one that's different to you should they're, they're, they're live miserable lives anyway. You know, you were all the time trying to justify it, and, and I suppose in another way you had a good... Uh, mechanism within you to unconsciously sub block out the pain that um, you know if I got into trouble with money if money ran short or something I never blamed it on drink 
you know, it wasn't drink was doing it, it was we were spending too much money or it was too much money on the car or we couldn't afford the type of car we had or whatever. Uh, it was never the drinks, it was never the fact that, um, it was never uh, the case that we'd say, if you take a fiver and you drink 20 pints in the week, that's 100 quid, right? That would, that, I'd spend that in two days drinking normally. chances are that I'd want more <laughs> you know more and more it got an everyday job and uh, I'd buy a bottle of wine and bring it home that was another thing I did uh, I'd bring a nagging of powers or a nagging of brandy or a nagging of something so that if I woke up in the middle of the night um, I'd be able to have something to cope with the night you know uh, you wake in at three o'clock in the morning and you start worrying about whether you're going to die or not. Wouldn't an egg be a great joke to have at a time like that then? Um, I would have often times even got sick from it, physically sick from it. Uh, and I'd get very low um, mood-wise and mentally and everything else. And uh, I would always go back to it because it would always be the thing that would, in inverted commas, save me or give me that lift again or whatever. It was really, uh, it's not, uh, it's very hard to rationalise it. It was my biggest enemy, Dermot, if I was thinking right, and I treated it as if it was my best friend. I never decided not to drink, uh, even when I went away for treatment or anything. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know, maybe this is something I wouldn't like to divulge to anyone, but like, I would have come home from six weeks in hospital, right? And uh, on my own, driving the car, and I would have had four or five vodkas uh, on the way home after giving six weeks on a program in a hospital and didn't say anything wrong with it. So they were only talking bullshit like I'm, uh, I'm okay now and I'll be able to, I'll watch it this time and I won't let anything go wrong and <laughs> all the rest of it. Yeah. There were times also when I pretended I wasn't drinking, but in actual fact I was drinking. I mean, when I used to meet you in, in Langton's and wherever, like I would be trying to get across to you that I wasn't drinking, but, um, I'd be oftentimes leaving you to go drinking and not to have a drink before I met you or something like that. But yeah, in the past I would have gone maybe the guts of 12 months uh, on one occasion, but I wasn't happy though. I wanted to be drinking and uh, it was a penance not to be drinking and it was, and life was no good. Sure, if you can't have a drink, sure what the hell good is life. You know, see, I was always able to do my job. Um, by and large, there were days when I wasn't able to turn up. But by and large, I was able to go in and do what had to be done. Now, I generally do it on cold turkey. Uh, and 
decide then that evening that I'll get a drink or might make a phone call to someone and say I'll meet you in Garmin's or I'll meet you somewhere Jesus, and had a rough day today and the rough day today would be that I was out putting in a day without it up to now and that was it's, it's a total it's a total um, give in to it on all fronts and whoever didn't see it the way you saw it um for the birds I knew I was away from home I was separated from Catherine and that was caused by drink and I knew myself that uh, I wasn't happy I had all the freedom in the world to drink I had all the the um, there was no one going to bother me if I drank or if I drank everything that I got or whatever, there was no one really going to say too much about it, uh, except that if I put in on someone. Uh, but I wasn't happy uh, because I knew I had a kind of destroyed a good person's life. Um, um, what kind of a an animal is this fella at all? And, and I'd say that about myself now. I can't, I can't, I can't know now um, how that made sense to me to do that. But it made perfect sense when I was at it. And it's nearly, nearly a year now since I had a drink. Nearly. Now I've got cancer in the meantime, so. Um, that's Shinshke Lele. Uh, and the connectivity between that and and the, and the drinking is another story but um, I certainly in the early stages of cancer I certainly thought to myself well I have a disease now that's going to kill me uh, and uh, this is when my old friend has to stand up and be counted uh, because surely I'm going to need it now more than I ever needed before to deal with this. And the opposite was the case. Quite, I don't want to sound um, crazy about it or anything, but quite remarkably or miraculously or whatever terminology you want to use, but certainly nothing that I did myself uh, because I didn't change overnight from being somebody that uh, decided that, no, I don't want this. Um, I would have said uh, 20 years ago, if I'm dying from cancer, right, um, I'd drink my head off. Because to be the real, real painkiller, you know, to be the real uh, something that would help you to face it and uh, get you over all your feet. The very opposite is the case. Again, nothing that I did. Uh, nor neither is it the fact that I have a tumour in the stomach and that in any way I think that if I drank a glass of wine or a pint of Guinness or think that to do untold harm. Uh, but, uh, it, so in other words, I, I wouldn't be, I, I'm not struck with a fear of drinking it because to... to, to, to uh, drive the cancer haywire or something like that uh, but uh, 
but I, I, I just kind of realised, no, I, it's better. Uh, it's better face it this way. Uh, and it's better deal with everything this way. Uh, because it robbed me of everything. It robbed me of my wife, my family. Uh, um, you know, it, it put that distance between the people that should have had me and the people that I should have had. Um, it put that thing between me and them that, um, in hindsight and looking back on it, uh, or looking in at it from the outside, somebody would say, well, you must be, there must be something wrong with you or you must be a bit cuckoo or something to let that happen. But that's not the way it is. Um, you don't mean to hurt anyone. You don't mean to deprive anyone. Uh, you don't want to deprive anyone. But your lifestyle and your way of going on, almost against your better, and yes, you do feel guilty over it, and you do feel uh, sad over it, and you do know, know that you cause problems and everything else, and you do regret it. Uh, but... Um, uh, the other side of the coin is that I know that all the regretting it in the world won't switch back the clock and why didn't I do it years ago do I regret that yes I do and uh, I particularly feel that uh, to cope with what I now have which is cancer of the stomach which probably kill me maybe <laughs> but um, probably will but uh, I feel that uh, I can I have the wherewithal to deal with that uh, and uh, I don't want to sound to whatever but um, I'm not afraid of that that doesn't frighten me anymore or the prospect or the thought of dying doesn't frighten me I don't want to die uh, but I can see that it's only in the order of things and if it happens I won't be the first it happened to and I won't be the last um, uh, and for all that I'd, I'd, I'd hope that maybe I could be cured from it and, and whatever but it's not a big deal it's not uh, the big deal that I thought it would be um, the big deal for me now is the kind of relationship that I have with family and children and uh, the tremendous relief and ease that it is that it's not pulling me anymore you know there's wine there there's beer there there's beer over there there's spirits in there um, but I don't want them <laughs> I just don't want them and if I was here on my own uh, I don't want them and I never want them and I know that now that's something I could never say before if you told me before that that would happen I'd say you were cuckoo me not wanting to drink particularly when you're kind of in trouble with the health and all the rest of it. you're joking yourself of course I'll want to drink and I know Catherine didn't believe it when I came back here I came home here she didn't believe that if I said I didn't want a drink again that I meant it, um, and that I didn't, and, and it's, I'm not doing, and that's, I'm not suffering because I'm not having a drink, I'm delighted I'm not drinking, 
uh, and I don't need it. And, and to me, that is something that came despite myself, despite the, the, what I have. And if you like, it makes me believe more even. Uh, because I can feel it there, whereas you can tell that to someone and they say, ah, sure, everybody that's has to face their own mortality, they turn soft or they turn gaudy or they turn religious or something like that. No, that's not where it is at all. It's it's, it's just... Now, I, I'd be very kind of shy about... Um, shouting that too loudly because people will say oh do you hear goody good shows or whatever it is here's life all sorted now or ever they can say what they like though that's the way I feel and uh, you know it's not all lovey-dovey or anything like that but uh, uh, the quality of life is a lot better and the reason it's a lot better is because I'm not using alcohol and I can't use alcohol it's as simple as that it's thing and I took years and years to see that and I resisted it and fought it in every way. Uh, uh, as you know yourself, I, I put um, um, a fairly serious value on spirituality, probably more so than most people do. And I don't want to be apologetic for that or to sound apologetic for that or whatever. But the notion now that you can be anyway spiritual and drink alcoholically is just very clear to me that there are two things that you can't do because your sense of the spiritual or your sense of uh, the power outside of yourself or God or whatever you want to call it the sense of that uh, and uh, thinking that that can coexist with um, lunatic behaviour is not too strong a word for it. But the only thing I would say about it is that I did always have that side to me that I kind of did always kind of believed in something outside of myself. And despite uh, everything that happened and all that happened, um, through the through the the dark times and everything that kind of seems to have kept calling and uh, I think uh, or where I'd like to believe anyway that I'm a kind of meeting that call now in, in a way that I wasn't equipped to meet with it before and the result for myself is is peace there was a desire there wasn't there wasn't a desire to give up drink or not to drink because I felt I couldn't or I, I couldn't feel good if I didn't have drink. But there was also something in the background or something deeper that was suggesting to me, well, no. And then I kind of made up my mind that uh, if I got back here, right, uh, that I would have make a fair effort at trying to not to drink but I was afraid of that because I thought what was going to happen was that I'd, came back, I'd get back here on those conditions and I'd still want to drink and that would be a terrible situation altogether and I thought long and hard and 
prayed about it, I suppose, not to be too apologetic about it, about it, that if I was to come back, I didn't want to come back on the basis that I wasn't going to drink, but I was going to come back on the basis that I didn't want to drink. And uh, that became a reality for me then. Uh, I kind of promised the man above that I wouldn't drink. Uh, and I began to feel, you know, it's funny, I don't want to drink. And I don't want to drink. And the more scans I got and the more chemotherapy I got and the more everything I got, maybe it's a case of too much else going on. I don't know. But uh, all I can say with certainty and with honesty is that I now know for certain. Now, if the A lads were here, they would kick me out the door for saying this because they say, you can't say that. That can never be said, they say. But I can say with certainty that whatever else I do in life, from here on out, the money a year off it, whatever else I do in life, I want to know I'll never be able to say that I drank again. And I'm not doing it for that. I'm not doing it for that reason for what other people say. I'm doing it for the reason that for the first time ever I found a bit of peace and a bit of happiness without it. Dad passed away around a year after we recorded this. But no, I didn't ever get addicted, as far as I know, Dermot, to another substance. Uh, what, what else can you be addicted to? I'm too old to be addiction, addicted to sex. So. <laughs> I knew Dad for these two years like I'd never known him before, because he wasn't drinking. I'll never forget around that time coming back from a holiday and telling him what it was like. He sat opposite me, looking at me, focusing on what I was saying. Jesus, I thought to myself, he's really listening to me. This has been a story for yarnpodcast.com, produced by Dermot Tobin, John Roach and Pierce O'Queeve.